Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, welcome into the Penn State Blitz podcast on a lovely early February morning. I'm Bob Flounder in the studio with me as always, Greg Pickle. Greg and I were just up at Penn State. We've got a lot to talk about this week. We're going to talk about another casualty of the transfer portal. We got to meet some of James Franklin's new assistant coaches and we formed some impressions of them. In particular, we're going to talk about Taylor Stubblefield and Phil Troutwine, two assistants who have a lot on their plate. And as always, Greg, you know how we're going to finish this up. Penn State Mailbag. Okay, Greg, you look resplendent in blue. I know. That's one our, way to put I it. I know our audience can't see it, but you're, that blue pullover, it's popping. Kudos to whoever dresses you. Is it Maddie or Lola? Lola. It's Lola dressing you. For the folks listening, we had a chance to do a video about our, technically it was a signing day news conference, even though Penn State didn't sign anyone because James Franklin had loaded the wagon back in December. We did a video kind of recapping part of the day up there Wednesday. Let's break some stuff down here, Greg. As we were heading into the car to leave State College, that rascal. Ricky Slade, one of the running backs, one of the 95 running backs Penn State has that are talented, into the transfer portal. Son of a gun. So the running back depth chart's still pretty impressive. But let's just talk about why did he wait till, you know, we're approaching Valentine's Day. You know, Justin Shorter had, had signed with uh, Florida a little bit earlier, but he had left a lot earlier as well. What do you make of Ricky Slade's decision, number one, Greg, and also – why did he wait till February? Yeah, I don't know if it's shocking, Bob. We've talked a lot about the fact that if one of these guys was going to go into the portal, one of the six scholarship running backs that they now have on campus, it wasn't going to be one of the or two of the, one of the two freshmen. It was not going to be Journey Brown. No. It was not going to be Noah Kane. And Devin Ford didn't make a lot of sense either. But Ricky Slade, fairly or unfairly, was always the one guy who folks thought, well, he could be the one that ends up in the transfer portal. So. He waits uh, and says in Dallas, I believe you talked to him for a while in Dallas, and he seemed to be pretty adamant that he was coming back and that they were going to look to have fun in, in 2020 just like they did in 2019. And then he was so happy when other guys got on the field and it didn't matter if he got one carry or 15 as long as they were scoring touchdowns and winning games. And I don't, I, I'm sure that's true to an extent, but at some point... What did you want him to say? You I know think, what I mean? Yeah, and I think all these guys know that if they're going to have a shot in the NFL, especially at the running back position, they might only need one good season. But he was entering his junior year. He has a couple of guys that are very talented that are younger than him that saw more playing time in 2019. So I think he just looked at it as he wasn't sure where he wanted to go when they got back from Dallas. He was thinking, I would assume, that he can graduate it maybe, or he won't be able to graduate, but he can get some more credits toward graduation this spring semester and then end up somewhere in the summer. You know, we've seen, I used to think that if you were going to transfer, you should do it so you could get to a school for spring practice. But how many guys now have come in in the summer months and really made a big impact? You can point to Jahan Dawson. You can, of course, point to Saquon Barkley. I mean, there's 
a number of guys Friar who Muth. Friar Muth, yes. Friar Muth. So, I mean, we could go on and on. And, you know, it, there's benefits to enrolling early and having spring practice as a recruit. And there's benefits to guys who transfer like Justin Shorter, who will get to uh, go through spring practice at Florida and well, I guess will apply for an eligibility waiver to play right away. But I, I don't know if it sets you back as much as it might think, especially when you consider that if you don't start class at your new school, then you're obsessed with semester behind when it comes to graduation. So Ricky Slade, as far as we know, is gonna is gonna stay in school at Penn State, right? Through I would assume so. Through yes, this, through this semester, he just won't be with the team, which is so you just wonder if he'll have any use of the facilities. Not that it really matters if he's not going to be a matter a member of the Penn State team. But um, before we talk about another item involving James Franklin, do we need to revisit that 2018 recruiting class with the three five stars? I mean, everyone was just like, "Wow, this is just this is really one of the great recruiting classes potentially in Penn State history." Obviously, Micah Parsons, the Harrisburg kid, fulfilled his promise as a five star. You know, all American his sophomore year, poised to be even better, and probably his final year this year at linebacker. But Justin Shorter was considered a five star. Ricky Slade was considered a five star. Justin Shorter now is at Florida. Uh, I'm not sure where Ricky Slade's going to be. I'm not sure, honestly, how he fits in a, as a division running back, having seen him for two years. But the the news that they, they're no longer with Penn State, does it force you to kind of look at James's 2018 class a little bit differently? Yeah, I think you have to. There's no question. I mean, when you get three five-star guys and they're supposed to be the ones that really take your program to the next level, and you go, you know, you're supposed to go one for three on three stars. And to go one for three on five stars is tough. I mean... It can happen in any recruiting class, and Penn State's not the first school to experience something like this. But at the same time, um, you know, Ricky Slade came out of a very good program in Virginia. He was very good at the uh, camps that he went to as a high school athlete and things like that. Same with Justin Shorter. So the fact that neither of those guys developed into this, I guess you can look at it one of two ways. You can complement the the way James Franklin and his staff have continued to recruit and developed other players and say, well, you know, maybe the rankings were wrong. Yeah. Maybe it's just that guys Survival developed quicker. Yeah. And then you can look at it and say, you know, what happened with these guys? And ultimately, I don't know if we'll know the answer until we see Justin Shorter's full career at Florida and also wherever Ricky Slade ends up. I mean, I don't know, Virginia, Virginia Tech, James Madison, something closer to home probably makes sense for him. Okay. So James Franklin, shortly after, I think it was the regular season, uh, Penn State and, and James uh, kind of agreed to terms on was essentially, I think, a, not necessarily a new contract, but maybe an extension for the foreseeable near future. He was yeah. going to get you know, more money. Presumably, he would get more money for his assistant coaches. You know, facility upgrades, all that stuff. It was assumed that was, you know, Greg, that was, I guess, I'm going to say early December when that happened. December 6th, Bob. And you have been waiting with bated breath for the details of this contract. And, you know, they had just, it, we're in February, you know, you know, the Super Bowl comes and goes, February starts, still no details. And we find out finally the reason why there were no details. James Franklin has yet to sign his contract. Is that surprising? Um... I guess yes and no. I just, what are they working through at this point? He said that he believes it's to a point now where the verbiage and the red tape and, and all that stuff is, uh, you know, it sounds like they're nearing a point where they're ready to sign this contract. I don't know what, you know, he, he picked up his sheet of notes at the news conference on Wednesday and said, you know, it's not like this three pages of notes. <laughs> there's a lot more that goes into these contracts. And I'm sure that there is. I mean, there's bonuses. I think they probably haggle over, you know, the, so when we get the term sheet, it'll list out what he makes as a base salary, what he'll make each year, you know, bonuses and also the buyout terms, whether he leaves or they fire him. And I just wonder 
maybe if that is more complex than it would seem. But at the same time, um, it does, doesn't feel like it should take this long. It's been 40 days since Sandy, almost 40 days since Sandy Barber talked at the Cotton Bowl and said that they were going to hopefully have those out in or, you know early to mid-January. It's now early to mid-February. We're getting close to that point and still nothing. It's not, yeah. it's not the end of the world. They're going to get it done. You know, for a recruiting perspective, they got it out there in December before the early signing period, before um, they had a lot of junior day events with underclassmen. So you can say, I'm going to be here. And I don't think recruits and their families really care about the terms of the contract. Some fans, based on the feedback I've received, don't really care about the terms. But I think they're important for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the buyout really becomes the biggest thing yes. because, look, it, James Sandy Barber, another thing she said in Dallas was that she loves that other schools come after James Franklin because if you don't have somebody that other programs want, you have to question why you have that person. And I think that's a fair point. But if they're going to come after him, you know, you better have your ducks in a row, not only with what he or his new school are going to you know, owe Penn State, but also um, because you can use that money to go find your his replacement if it ever came to that. I don't expect that it will. But beyond that, this guy is somewhat paid uh, by the state of Pennsylvania and taxpayers and things like that. And I know that it's irrelevant to most, but in terms of his contract are just something that Penn State Sandy Barber said they're very transparent about releasing. And yeah, I'm sure they will at some point, but it's just a little bit bizarre. I don't think it's anything to worry about. There's nothing to be concerned with. But uh, again, I think another thing, too, it just goes to program prominence and being able to show we can pay our head coach this much, mo- this much money. Maybe it means something to recruits. Maybe it doesn't. But I mean, let's be honest, the teams that make the playoff every year and compete for titles, Bob, they're spending the kind of money that Penn State wants to spend as well. I mean, it's been two months. Let's let can we can we just put like a can we fast track this? It's been we want to know, Greg, you want to know, hopefully in the next week or two, we can kind of lead maybe one of our podcasts with what kind of coin James is making. Um, so at the news conference on Wednesday, somebody with a microphone, and that somebody was you, asked James about, uh, it was a, I like the way you kind of couched the question you were talking about. You, you wanted to kind of get into why he brought Phil Troutline in from Boston College. But it was more really, I think the question was more, why did you decide when Matt Limegrover, the, offense, the current offensive line coach through 2019, when his when his contract was up, why did why did you kind of want to move on from him? And you could tell James was kind of he's not really he doesn't really enjoy uh, answering those questions, but he did answer it, Greg. And yeah. he, he did say he felt a change was needed. Now, um, I think most people are aware that he said that by now. But what do you think? He was, what do you think it was? What was it that prompted him to make the change? I think it was a mixture of a lot of things. I believe that Matt Limegrover was really well-beloved by his players, and I also think that he was okay as a recruiter, and I think a lot of the 2021 linemen, this is a big year for 2021 offensive linemen. There are a lot of talented guys in not just uh, you know this. Re- you got five-star <laughs> Nolan Rucci, the mm-hmm. son of uh, Todd Rucci at Warwick. You have Landon Tangwall, the five-star uh, offensive lineman from Maryland. You have a number of other four-stars, a kid in West Virginia, uh, a couple other kids in the Mid-Atlantic region. And I think James Franklin may have looked at it and said, you know what, I think we need a reboot here for not just the technique part of it. You know, you had said uh, previously that you thought Penn State's offensive line played pretty well, maybe as best of the James Franklin yeah. era in 2019. And I would be willing to agree with you, but is there another level for these guys? Yeah. That's the big question. I think that there probably is, and I'm just not sure Matt Limegrover was going to get that group to that point. So you combine that with the fact that, again, you cannot go 0 for 2, 1 for 3, or 1 for 4 with uh, you know these top linemen in the state, and I just want, or in the region, rather. And I just wonder if James Franklin felt like 
Phil Troutwine was going to give him a better chance to land those guys and build for the future and over Matt Limegrover. So we'll see. My favorite phrase Franklin uses in those um, answers is when he says, uh, it's not really a, there were a lot of reasons and it's not really an appropriate place to discuss them. And I just would love <laughs> to know where that appropriate place might be. Um, obviously yeah. not with the media at any place, but yeah, I, I think he respected Matt Limegrover and appreciated right. the job he did. But, you know, if you're going to make it to where they want to make right. it, I just think they need a little bit more out of that position group. Yeah, as the program grows, he needs the coaching staff to grow with him. In 2016, you know, they were they were coming off, you know, back-to-back seven and six seasons. So getting Matt Limegrover from Minnesota uh, seemed like an upgrade over Herb Hand, and, and he definitely was. But now when you're trying to chase double-digit win seasons every year, when you're trying to get the national playoff or at the very least be in the New Year's six playoff games, I think you can make an argument. And, and James Franklin talked about it. I thought it was his quote was telling about this story that uh, Phil Troutwine has to tell. And not only the fan base, but recruits. You know, this is a guy that played on two national championship teams at Florida. He found a way into the NFL for five years. I think he has shown at a, at a smaller school. He's a fairly dynamic recruiter. He's able to get kids maybe above Boston College's level nationally to come to Boston College. Their offensive lines have been, I think, pretty good uh, when he was there. I think a lot of it, it's it's not as much as the development, although that's crucial, but I really think it is recruiting above all with James Franklin. And if you can't recruit four and possibly five stars, well, then what what, what do I need you around for? Um, I think Matt did a, a good job getting Penn State to this point, but I think he he is – uh, if you're going to chase elite status, I think Phil Troutwine, in, in James's mind, was a much, very much a cut above Matt Limegrover. And he talked about having to make the difficult decisions. I think this is one of them, but I think it was the right move, Greg. And uh, I'm curious. To, I'll be very curious to see. You mentioned those uh, those five stars and those Pennsylvania kids. I'll be very curious to see how they view this change and whether or not Penn State can land those kids because I think it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, one phrase James Franklin used when he was talking about, uh, I believe this was in reference to Sean Spencer leaving, but he had said, if you're going to make changes, it's a chance to get somebody with a similar skill set or maybe even upgrade. And I think this is falling into the maybe even upgrade category. Okay, let's move along to Kirk Sharaka. I think I got that right. The Redland High School grad, the Minnesota OC who carved up Penn State's defense in early November in a 31-26 win that was considered a big upset, knocked uh, it was Penn State's first loss of the season. You know, James, once Ricky Ronnie moved on to Old Dominion, I think this was his guy. I thought it was pretty fascinating yesterday. He was asked about the passing game kind of in the receivers group, where it needed to go, maybe how Kirk fits in there. But I'm just, I, I, I wonder, Greg, just how much that Minnesota game where James saw what Kirk could do in that offense with, with a quarterback that can't run the ball in an RPO. That's pretty significant. Uh, just carve up a pretty good defense. Do you think that kind of clinched it in James's mind that, hey, if I ever get a chance to land this guy who's got Pennsylvania roots, I need to go get him? Yeah, I mean, you were in the news conference out at TCF Bank Stadium when James Franklin kind of raved about Kirk Sharaka after yeah. that Minnesota game plan really beat up Penn State. And I can't say I've ever heard, I can't recall the last time I heard him mention a coordinator, an opposing coordinator yeah, by name. name. Yeah, and not and maybe he's done it after a loss against, you know, or a win over like a Buffalo or somebody like that, right. giving a guy recognition um, from a lower level school. But for a conference peer, for him to say that, 
it really was the first domino to fall, I think, in terms of getting this thing done. And I didn't realize he had so many connections, East Stroudsburg's, East Stroudsburg connections and things like that. So these guys have sort of been on the periphery of each other yeah. for a long time. And when you see what Kirk's offense does, I think what impresses me most is that as long as everything is, and maybe and that's going to be the biggest challenge, though, as long as everything is efficient and done exactly the way it's supposed to be yeah. done, it's very difficult to stop. And, you know, one of the things you had pointed out uh, yesterday was James Franklin seemed to maybe indicate that Penn State's offense didn't utilize all of its weapons yeah. as well as it could have in 2019. In 2020, they're going to have to develop some receivers. They're going to have to figure out that running back rotation. They have one of the best tight ends in the country. They have the weapons, Bob. And, you know, when you talk about making moves for the better, I think one of the, this move was really kind of based on the fact that they need to get all of these talented skill players they're recruiting involved. Yeah, and, and listening to Kirk uh, talk after, after uh, James talked, pretty riveting guy, uh, a little bit laid back, very confident. I didn't realize he's not the biggest guy in the world, not that that really matters, but he did mention the Harrisburg area growing up. He mentioned the Harrisburg Patriot News, and I'm sure he's aware of Penn Live as well, but he hasn't been back this, to this area in some time. But I will say this, he talked about being a teacher he talked about one of the keys of his RPO offense, which is a run-pass option offense, you know, the two plays in mind. And based on what you're reading, a couple of defenders or maybe just one defender, and either you're going to run it or you're going you're to pull the ball out and you're going to throw it. But he talked about the ability to adjust and, you know, in-game. And if you remember what James Franklin talked about early in 2019 is he didn't feel like they were making in-game adjustments quickly. Now, we assumed it was just defense, but I think it was probably offense as well. Um, they had some slow starts early in the season, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and I think he, he views Kirk, number one, as a guy who can in-game adjust a little bit better than Ricky Ronnie, who was just kind of cutting his teeth on the fly as an OC. Uh, the other thing I thought that really stood out was when James talked about the wideout group. He said, you know, we, we have not done a good job of getting our outside receivers involved in this offense, especially on the throws that are to the field. So there's boundary and field. Boundary is the short side of the field. Field is the wide side of the field. He also talked about the need of stretching the field, not only vertically, but horizontally, and they need to do that better too. I think when you look at what Kirk did at Minnesota and what he did against Penn State in that game with those two big wideouts on both sides of the, fo of the ball, they were weapons over the middle, Greg. They were weapons deep. They were, they were weapons down the sideline. I think he can kind of see what James was driving at. I think he wants an offense that is a lot more versatile, and I think he wants an offense where defenses can't just key on one facet. I think he thinks this guy can get, much like Troutwine can get the offensive line, to the next level as they chase elite. I think he thinks Kirk is the, the coordinator that can get these athletes that James has recruited to play at a more efficient level. Two things that jumped out to me. One being that he did mention that Kirk Schrock has kind of been at two rebuilds. He helped build Western Michigan up with P.J. Fleck. Then he helped build Minnesota up with P.J. Fleck. And, you know, the one thing the, that James Franklin said was that they need year three Kirk Schrock and not year one. And that's going to fall on the coaching staff that surrounds uh, Kirk Schrock on offense as much as anything else. But I think it also falls on James Franklin a little bit. And we'll get into this in the mailbag. But uh, you know, he can't be too overbearing. He kind of has to let this, you know, Kirk Schrock could come in and do what he was hired to do and not, you know, one of the things he said yesterday that I think was a tad bit concerning was that he talked a lot about, well, what was Minnesota doing that we can bring to Penn State and what was Penn State doing that we can bring to Minnesota? And 
I mean, I guess there's some facets of what Penn State was doing. You want to bring to Minnesota, and that's always going to happen when you bring in a new guy. Yeah. But do you really want to change up too much of what he's yeah, doing? I think what he was talking about is the running quarterback. That's what he was talking about. What can Penn State bring to Minnesota's offense is the running quarterback. They didn't have, they don't have it at Tanner Morgan, right? And he talked about he, he he thought that Kirk was pretty excited about having not just one, multiple running quarterbacks at his disposal. Because if something would happen to Sean Clifford, and by the way, did you notice that? that James referred to having a quarterback and second year a starter. That could not have been great news to Will Levis. Right. But I mean, I don't think it was, it's just that James said it, right. you know, yeah. kind of just take the suspense out of it, barring an injury. It's going to be Sean. But I think that's what he meant. What the marriage of the offenses is one thing Penn state had that, that Minnesota did not have was I mean, Sean Clifford was a factor before he got hurt with his legs. Um, Greg, Let's. Uh, I, I sure hope the people that are listening to this are evaluating us, and I think I hope I hope the, the feedback is positive. It might not be because you know there's some times when we maybe we might mess up one or two times, but it doesn't happen a lot. Can you? Can you? Uh, we're halfway through the uh, podcast. Can you uh, do your due diligence and kind of get everyone involved in what they need to do to kind of evaluate us and give us? five or possibly six star reviews that's right yeah hit up the uh the favorite place to get your audio uh, like rate subscribe apple spotify and everything else you can also find the videos on youtube.com slash all penn state but yeah uh podcast is out every week uh we'll be right back The Penn State Blitz podcast continues. I'm Bob Flounders, joined in the studio by Greg Pickle. Greg, as we continue this discussion about the signing day news conference in early February of James Franklin, also the new assistant coaches were made available. We talked, we touched on Ricky Slade in the transfer portal, but let's talk about let's talk about Taylor Stubblefield, formerly of the Miami Hurricanes, a former Purdue wideouts coach who joined the Penn State staff once. Jared Parker, last year's wideouts coach, took the OC job at West Virginia. Kind of a surprise. There hasn't been a lot of stability at the Penn State uh, wide receiver coaching position for a lot of different reasons. Josh Gaddis was a coach. David Corley, unfortunately, was a coach. He was a coach, all right. That's uh, for in sure. In 2018, Parker coached in 2019. So now, you know, the, the receivers, the, the veteran receivers, are on their fourth coach in four years. Taylor Stubblefield was a very productive receiver. I remember him when he was at Purdue. You were just, I don't even know. you I think you might have been in junior high school maybe. That's I don't about know. right. I yeah. don't know what you were doing. But anyway, he was a very good. I was not watching Purdue football, I can tell you that. He was a very, very good receiver at Purdue. He's been around the block on the collegiate level. You had a chance to really get to some up-close and personal info on Taylor. Did you get a look of his at his belt buckle? On that? I did, did not, but it? he did confirm that he has a new one. He actually basically said that you know he packed up and left yeah. for State College, and one of the the pair of pants that he grabbed just had the belt still in it. And the Miami belt buckle was there, and and they just didn't like it last. Just kind of was what it was. You know, I think it was probably a good yeah. icebreaker for him, though. This sure. is a guy that a lot of people didn't know much about, and the fact that he came back then and said, "Hey, here's three new belts; it won't happen again." I think that may have endeared him uh, to this fan base a little bit, and I think he probably needed it. Yeah. So what, So Penn State's wideout group, even James talked about it yesterday, if there is a perceived weakness on a team that returns a lot of talent that went 11-2 and two last year, 
It's it's wide receiver. KJ Hamler left early. Clearly their best receiver. One of the better return men in the country. Justin Shorter after two years, you know, portal pulled the shoot, portaled. I like that verb. Portal, he's now in the SEC. He's Dan Mullen's problem now. Um, but you know, there's really not a lot left, lot, a lot returning other than Jahan Dotson. There's a lot of guys that might be good that we don't know. There's a lot of talented guys that dropped passes last year. So, what did Stubblefield say about maybe whether it was his coaching style, what he what he thought at early impressions of the receiver room? What what's your take on Stubblefield? I liked him. I liked his message a lot, and I wasn't too sure what I was gonna you know think about, but what he had to say coming into this, just because he's a coaching nomad. I mean what is it, nine jobs in 11 years, something along those lines. It's close to that anyway. And, you know, he had an interesting backstory, and he spent time, he met James Franklin when he was a a coach at Eastern Michigan, and they played Maryland in 2008, and he was introduced to him then. He came to State College, I believe, two years in a row when he was at Air Force for what they called professional development, which is usually what... He wasn't the receivers coach at Air Force, was he? Yes. Because they don't really throw the ball. He's had some stops since then, but yeah, that's uh, it was an interesting side note to think back to, uh, you know, Army, past Army and Air Force receivers coaches now. I wonder what Navy's guys up to, but um, yeah, he um, he came off as a guy that I think is probably um, if you're going to have a, some of these guys are hearing their third message in three years, some of them two in two years, and to me, they just need to get somebody in there that can say, this is how I, to do it at a high level. I can show you how I did it at a high level. I can tell you how I thought about doing it at a high level. And maybe that's what these guys need. I don't know. Taylor Stubblefield is not going to be able to catch passes for these guys. He's not going to be able to run the crisp routes that are uh, demanded in Kirk Scirocco's <laughs> offense. But I think he has the right demeanor to come in and and mentor a young group that, again, has heard more messages than you'd probably prefer a college football player to hear over the course uh, early portion of their career and you know he was pretty very simple i mean he's like we're gonna accurate we're gonna hit our spots and we're gonna catch the ball and if we can't catch the ball then we're gonna find somebody that does and you know again kind of going back to ricky slade what else is he gonna say you know we're he wasn't gonna i don't think he's looking for guys who can drop it and run bad routes so you know i think you have to take it with a grain of salt but yeah i came away impressed with the fact that he believes that Penn State and being with James Franklin was a job that he has wanted for a long time. And now that it came open, it's a chance for him to really make his mark. He said, if someone calls me next year to, and I guess what else is he going to say? But he brought this up voluntarily. He said, you know, if someone calls me next year to be a receivers coach somewhere or a coordinator and they're offering this and they're offering that, he said, I can tell you 100% I'm not going to take it. We saved that quote for next February. But um, I think that he came off as a guy who it, I, I do think he's the right guy at the right point for this receivers group. I know that there were some questions about how he developed guys at Miami, but you know, again, position coach. Miami did get shut out in their bowl game, just just for point of. And I think that was well, the quarterback couldn't throw the ball down the field, so I may have had the under in that game, maybe. Um, at any rate, yeah, I just I, I do I was impressed by him. I, like I said, I wasn't too sure because we knew he was a very good player. The the coaching track record was a little bit iffy, but. Um, I, again, I think Penn State got the right guy here, and I think he might be a little bit of a better recruiter than what he's been given credit for in the past. Yeah, let's hope so. But they they really need some they need some stability at that position, and they got they need some they need some receivers to step up. I think it's a huge year uh, for the Penn State receiver group. They just really haven't <clears throat> since 2017. You know when they had when they had Deshaun Hamilton and Gasicki, and they had some. 
Uh, actually, Jawan Johnson actually had a pretty nice year. He had 700 receiving yards. There was some balance in that offense. They were imbalanced, I would, I would say, the last two years. It was too much about Hamler. And if, had, had it not been for Pat Fryermuth, this offense, I think, was really in a lot of trouble. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a huge, I think, offseason for the receiver group. I'm not sure who's going to step up. My money's on John Dunmore. That's who my money is on. I know you're, you're a little bit of a gambler. We'll probably have a – once this podcast is over, you're gonna, we'll have a little side bet and we'll see, you know, uh, who wins. My money is on Dunmore. I'll I think, go with Keandre Lambert. Um, I, I, I think the jury is very much out on Daniel George. That's Taylor Stubblefield's problem. It's actually also Kirk Shiraka's problem too, and hopefully those two can kind of get on the same page very quickly because, man, uh, Rashad Bateman and I think Tyler Johnson, those two receivers at Minnesota that not a lot of people knew about – at the start of the 2019 season, they were both tremendous weapons. And they, they didn't just hurt Penn State, Greg. They hurt everyone. They killed, right. they killed Auburn in that bowl game. So let's, uh, I, think, I think it won't just be Stubblefield that gets them going. I think it's going to be Kirk as well. Before we conclude this podcast, though, it's, it's your favorite segment. It's one, of my, it's one of my four favorite segments. It's the Penn State Mailbag. What do you have for That's right. Don't forget, like, rate, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else, and YouTube.com slash all Penn State. You can find all the videos there. You can actually hear from Kirk Shirakas, Taylor Stubblefield, and uh, Phil Troutwine, because our good buddy Joe Hermit put plenty of videos of those guys up from Wednesday. So, yeah, let's get to the mailbag, and let's start with the receivers group. I was rereading... Uh, the transcript from James Franklin last night while the dog was out rolling in the mud. And, Lola, that's Lola, yeah, by the way. And I was really struck. To, can you recall him ever putting a position group kind of on notice in February the way he just did with the receivers? I mean, he basically came out and said, we weren't good enough, we haven't been good enough, we must be better. Well, I mean, I, I think with good reason. I mean, there are two losses. The, the, you know, the receivers played a, played a huge role. I mean, in the yeah, they, they made a great comeback in the Minnesota game, but Justin Shorter uh, did not uh, go after a ball that was intercepted by Winfield, I think, to end the first drive. He dropped a pass in the end zone for a touchdown in a game that was decided by five points. They certainly weren't much of a factor at all in the Ohio State loss. Uh, Sean Clifford only threw for 133 yards in the, in, the, in the Cotton Bowl win. I think they should be put on notice. I mean, these guys have been – these guys are obviously athletic. We've seen in flashes what they can do, but when a guy like Dan Chisena is getting put on scholarship and getting serious run outside on a team with Justin Shorter and Daniel George, um, and he's kind of the preferred option. I mean, it's it's you know it's it's a great story, but what happened to the five star recruit and Daniel George? I think was a four star recruit or at least a very high three in their second year. I think they absolutely need to be put on notice, and if one or two of them don't step up, it's going to be hard for them to get to 10 wins, I think. And I think, I think they need to hear it. No question. Bob, one thing we didn't get to yet in the show, we probably should have let off with this, but Sean Spencer, of course, leaving to go to the New York Giants. That was my fault. I screwed it up I'm in the totally rundown. I'm blaming you. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sean Spencer leaves for the Giants. James Franklin, it, the, one, the one part of that I found interesting was he said, you know, we're well, saving the best for last. It's yeah. our new podcast theory. That's right. And I think we just wait, the listeners have to wait to hear us talk about Sean Spencer while they were ridiculing us for the first 25 minutes. Right. Now we double back and we give him a shot of Spencer. 
and everyone's happy. We're just retaining. We're retaining our best knowledge until the end of the show. Um, yeah, I think that. Uh, I think that it was interesting. James Franklin said that. Well, he's from. You know, his wife's from the re- the region. I mean, the, the Pennsylvania's in the region too. So I didn't really understand <laughs> that part of it. But good opportunity for him. Great promotion. A chance for him. I think to continue climbing the ladder if he wants to one day be a head coach or a a, def- or, you know, a defensive coordinator. But Bob, do you think? Penn State has any shot of upgrading over him when they eventually make the hire. Keep in mind, I just checked the phone. They haven't made a hire yet while we're recording this. It could happen by the time you listen to it. But can they make an upgrade here, or was Sean Spencer one of the best in the country for a reason? Oh, yeah, they can't make an upgrade. They can get somebody who is competent, but I think he was – you want to make a list of the top five or eight defensive line coaches in the country. And just remember that when you're talking about defensive line coaches, you're also talking about recruiting. You really are. It's – it's a huge chunk of the job, especially if you're going to play our coach for James Franklin. He's on that list, and I just at this at this state of the uh, stage of the game with spring practice set for you know about five or six weeks from now. Uh, no, it's not you can't replace Sean Spencer this year. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see how he's going to approach this because ultimately he's trying to find an elite defensive line coach, right? So how do you go about? Do you almost? I mean, can you find a guy that? you think has a lot of potential but isn't quite there yet, I think that's what it's got to be. It's got to be a young guy who can recruit, and maybe the development side will kind of fall into place. Um, and he's got some other people, I think, on the defensive side of the staff that can help him with that. You know, he was a good recruiter, but for all the praise he gets in that regard, Brian Brissy to Clemson, Christian Wilkins went to Clemson. I mean, they've lost out on some guys, uh, very high-profile defensive linemen in the Mid-Atlantic over the last couple of recruiting cycles. That's one area that Whoever James Franklin hires, that's going to have to be a, a point of emphasis. Sure. And it, Sean Spencer doesn't wear that that you know that that's not just his problem sure. or, or something that he you know he created. But you know, look at these look at these game records that other teams have up front. I mean, Penn State's had some of them, and Sean Spencer's developed yeah. some of them. He developed a walk on into a you know yeah. an All American. So let's not take that away from him. But uh, it's, it's a tough, tough to job. Recruit, it's tough to recruit against Clemson when you're not in the national playoff, and they're not only in the national it playoff, is. but they're winning them. So, but you know how you get there yeah. by by winning those kind of battles some way somehow. Sure. And it's not easy. I'm not trying to say that, but yeah, he's going to have to find a guy. I think it hurts a lot that they couldn't reel Elijah Robinson back in from Texas A&M, former Penn State lineman. I mean, Texas A&M's done a decent job. You know, they got not that he coaches that position. But they got Andre White out of Harrisburg. They got the four star lineman out of New Jersey, whose name escapes me at the moment, but. He's done a nice job down there. That hurt. That was, I think, a chance to yeah. get a similar skill set. I think now, unless you know they break out a, a large check for somebody, they might even have to do a, a signing. You know, one of those big check uh, things to get somebody of that caliber. At this point, it's a brutal time to to have to make a hire. It really is. But you know, James Franklin's come through before. We'll see. But I think I'm with you. I think that. They're probably looking for somebody a little bit younger, maybe not unknown, but uh, not known to the masses, I guess would be a way to put James it. James did say it's going to happen soon, so I think he is. He knows who the guy's going to be. I think he knows the guy wants to say yes. So I'll, I'll be real curious to see. He's got these lists, Greg. He's got lists for days with names on them. He is a, he is a, he is an, he's not an introvert. It's outrovert. No. Is that, the, is that the opposite of introvert? Outrovert? No, that's not the right word. Let's not. He's very outgoing. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. He will talk to anyone. He will take a picture with anyone. And I think somewhere along the line, he found a a young defensive line coach he really likes. We're going to, by the time we talk again, here's my bold prediction. Then he's going to have a hire. How about that? How about this? By the time you get to happy hour Friday, there will be a hire (laughs) announced probably right as you walk in the door. Anything else you want to kick around, Bob? I mean, I think we covered a lot of ground. Nice save on the Sean 
uh, Spencer omission from yeah. early. I thought we spun that correctly, that this was the plan all along. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, yeah, no, I think we got it covered. It's amazing, Greg. Every week that goes by this offseason, you think, you think it's going to be a nice, quiet week. We haven't, I don't even know if there's been a nice, quiet 48 hours on the, uh, on the Penn State beat, but I think that's what the fan base kind of wants at this time of year. And before you know it, winter conditioning is going to be over. We're going to be talking about spring practice, breakouts, sleepers, all that good stuff. And we'll be talking about Penn State's next defensive line. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.